Well, this is the beginning of the season of Epiphany, the first Sunday in Epiphany. What is Epiphany? Well, Epiphany is not just a funny word, but it means a sudden appearing, and so that is a theme for this season. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that in this new building, you would revive us, renew us, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear your word and to apply it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We went intertubing on the Smith River up in the California Redwoods, and the water was great, but the water was shallow, and the river bottom was all stones about a foot to two feet across. After riding the tubes down the river, you had to walk your tube back upstream, and with bare feet, it was ponderous and painful. It was a long road back. After the fall, God began to bring mankind to himself, first with the patriarchs, and through them, the Israelites. And finally, at the end of the day, the Lord brings the Gentiles in. This morning in the Gospel of Matthew, it shows us the long road back. The long road back. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now there's a lot in this text. And I hope this morning to show you that this text is pregnant with meaning and symbolism. We've got wise men here arriving after a long road trip. They're coming, searching for the king of the Jews. Who are these wise men, these magi? Well, they're likely from Persia that develops into the Parthian Empire, the arch enemy of the Roman Empire. But they come from Persia, and remember that Persia, the Persian Empire, arose out of and conquered the Babylonian Empire. So they draw their lineage to Babylon and likely to Jewish magi such as Daniel. Now notice what they do. They know the time is right. And they know that the sign is right. What of the star and why now? Well, I believe they're following a chronology of Daniel's 70 weeks. 70 times 70, 490 years. They're watching and waiting and they feel that the time is now arrived and they see the star. And what star is this? Well, it might come as a surprise to you. If you look throughout the Old Testament, one particular text arises regarding a sign of a star. Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir and his enemies shall also be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and the one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. A star is going to come forth from Jacob. A scepter is going to arise out of Israel. And we see here that Jacob is going to exercise authority and dominion. Jacob who blessed his sons, the 12 tribes. And we've got the word of the scepter here. 
And when Jacob came to his son Judah, he said, but you, Judah, you, the scepter shall not depart until he comes to Shiloh. So we see the idea of the scepter, we see the idea of Jacob, and so the idea of Judah as the royal tribe also arises out of this. A star is coming out of Jacob. Now who said these words? It's gonna come as a surprise. We see who this is in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 15. And he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of a man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. Balaam, the false prophet, hired by the Midianites in the days of Moses to curse the people of God. But every time he opened up his mouth, God spoke through him, and God put words into his mouth. God even put words into the mouth of his donkey, and so he utters these words about a star coming forth from Jacob. 1,600 years before, the long road to Messiah. Let's go on back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod, the king of the Jews. Who is Herod? This is Herod the Great. Herod, who is this wicked tyrant who considers himself king of the Jews, but who is Herod? Herod actually is from Idumea. Idumea. Idumea is drawn from Edomea. It's Edom. It's a historic region of Edom. Herod himself, who placed himself on the throne and uses the power of the Romans to emplace himself there, is actually an Edomite. He's from Edom, and Edom is the word for red in Hebrew, and it's derived from Esau since he was red. Esau, Esau, the great struggle of Esau and Jacob, how they struggled in the womb and how they struggled with each other during their lives. And once again, we've got a great republication of the titanic struggle that we see all through the scriptures between Jacob and Esau. Jacob represented here by Messiah and Esau here represented by Herod the Great. Herod is troubled. And so the whole city is troubled with him. Now Herod's a wicked king. Herod has no problem eliminating his own family members, his own children, if he believes they're trying to seize power from him. A righteous king would have not been troubled by the idea of Messiah coming. Going on to verse four. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now notice that Herod connected the wise men's words, king of the Jews, with the Christ. And Herod gets a precise biblical answer here. It's drawn from Micah chapter five, verse two. Messiah's coming forth from Bethlehem. Verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod brought the Magi in secretly because he knew the chief priests and scribes believed and would protect the Christ. 
He knows that they know what type of man that he is. So here it has. The location via the Bible. He's got the timing of the coming of the Christ via the Magi, and yet he is bent on opposing God and killing the Christ. Going on to verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It seems that the star appeared when Jesus was born, and it appears now again. They know to go to Jerusalem, but they don't know all the specifics. Jerusalem's a well-known place. And there must have been some time between the star's first appearance and the Magi's arrival in Jerusalem. It was a long road there, and the star guided them to the exact house. Now, what was this? Now, a lot of times, pastors and Bible scholars, they feel this need to have some sort of natural explanation for such things. Well, maybe it was the appearance of some great comet. Or it was a time when the earth got closer to some star or some planet. We don't know what it was. It was a mystery. But is it outside the purview of God to cause a special star to appear that then disappears? A special star to show the exact location of the coming of the Christ? Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now notice the Magi worshipped him. Worshipped him. They fell down and they worshipped him. The word in the Hebrew and the word in the Greek for worship literally relates to posture. In Greek, it's proskuneo. It means to fall down on your face before. You don't fall down and prostrate yourself before human beings in worship. You don't fall down before angels in worship. But no, you fall down and worship before God. I thought maybe there's some special music here for the sermon. <laughs> there is one place where these three elements come together. Now notice what they have here. He gives gifts, these magi, they give gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, first of all, on a utilitarian level, you may have wondered how Joseph and Mary, they're going to be warned in a dream. They're going to leave and go down to Egypt. How did they survive down there? Joseph is a, is a simple carpenter. Well, they've got gifts here, expensive gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so they're able to survive down there until they're called back into the land of Israel. But these three elements are peculiar. There's one place where these three elements come together in the Bible. One place, and that's in the temple. In the temple, so first of all, we've got gold. Now, if you're looking at the temple and earlier into the tabernacle, you will find everything covered over with gold. The wood panels inside the tabernacle are covered over with gold. The golden lampstand is gold. The altar of incense is gold. The table of showbread is covered over with gold. If you go into the Holy of Holies itself, you find a chest, the Ark of the Covenant, a wood chest covered over with gold, and the top of it, the mercy seat, that has two angels with their arms, their wings extended over the top of it, is solid gold. And above that is the resting place of God, where God is present among his people. Gold, the whole interior of the temple and its furnishings are overlaid with gold. Frankincense. Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. 
The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stockte and onke and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be an equal part, and you shall make an incense blended as by a perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and shall put part of it into the testimony of the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy. So frankincense is at the center of incense that's burning in the temple. The sweet smell of it is permeating everything. It's, it's filling the house of God and myrrh. Exodus chapter 30 at verse 23. Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of the meeting of the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, and the table and its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, its basin, and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. So holy oil made of myrrh covers everything in the house of God, covers over the utensils and anoints them for holy use. And even the people, the priests themselves, are covered over with this anointing oil. So what do we have here? Gold covering the house of God. We've got, we've got myrrh here covering over everything in the house of God with anointing oil. We've got frankincense permeating the house of God. And what's the point of all this? I don't know if these wise men fully understood what they were doing, but God brought it about for a specific reason. That little baby lying there as they worship him. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. This little baby there that's being offered these elements symbolically is the fulfillment of the temple. All the sacrifices of the temple, all the functionaries of the temple, all the riches of the temple, and at the center of that, the temple was the presence of God with the people of God, and Jesus is God in the flesh amongst his people. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. He is the chief cornerstone of the new temple to come, of which you are living stones, stone upon stone, being built through this age to the glory of God. Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God speaks to these unknown magi and protects them and Jesus. It was an epiphany, an appearing. Here we have representatives of Gentile kings, the nations who for so long have been kept from God's presence. Jesus is revealed as a king of kings and lord of lords, and the nations have come to Messiah after the long road back. The Volkerwanderung, or Great Migration Period, was an era of entire people groups migrating over vast expanses of territory. It began around 300 AD 
as German, Germanic tribes were driven from the plains on the fringe of Asia and Europe by the steadily encroaching Huns. On the long road to new settlement, thousands of miles and hundreds of years away, by 700, the entire world had changed, with Germanic tribes from the Asian frontier now settled in Spain and North Africa with the Vandals and the Visigoths, the Franks and what would become France, and the Angles and Saxons and what would become Angland, England. It was a long, slow road to the modern world. It was a long, slow road for the Gentile nations to be brought near to God again. The first fruits are the wise men in our text this morning. But friends, we are in the midst of the greatest of Volkewanderungs as entire nations and empires are migrating back into the presence of God because of his grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've seen this morning with the long road back, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the season of epiphany. We thank you for the epiphany of your son as king of the nations. And we long for his final epiphany when all enemies will be placed under his feet and we shall rule gloriously with him. We thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen.